It is good to see you today. How about the weather in June? Good stuff, huh? I hope you enjoy fully the rest of the day. It's incredible. I'd say just enjoy it uh, while it's here. I hope that you've had a great week. Here's what I know. It's been a great baseball week, has it not? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Royals just moved above 500, all right? Which, considering where they were when we started this series, I'm thinking we deserve some credit with that. You know what I'm saying? Above 500 now. And it was the College World Series week. Um, Who's in that? Let's see. uh, Florida's in that. And... The LSU Tigers are in that. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, I would never um, just bring that up because I like, wanted to brag or anything about the team that I cheer for that might happen to be in the College World Series. I, w- I would never do that. I'm bringing it up because we're in week seven of a series called Put Me In Coach. It's kind of a baseball theme that we chose to, to attach to our study of the book of Acts. Put me in coach. I'm, I'm ready to play today. Because here's the clear evidence that we have found from our study of Acts. Belonging in the church is not about just going to church and sitting in the stands and watching everybody else do something. Belonging here means you're actually on the field. It means you get to play. You're in the game. Now, here's what we've been seeing in our study. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know how in every zombie movie, all right? No, don't act like you haven't seen a zombie movie, all right? I'm saying every zombie movie, if you've never seen a zombie movie, I want you to know we still love you, all right? And you are welcome here. But in every zombie movie, There's this scene where all the big officials are in a room and they're looking at this giant screen and there's a really smart scientist who's mapping the progress. In eight hours, here's where the virus will be. In 12 hours, here's where the virus will be. In 24 hours, here's where it will be in a week, here's where it will be until eventually the entire globe is covered with red. It's in every zombie movie. Well, that's kind of like what we're seeing in the book of Acts, not with zombies, but with Jesus followers. The little red dot, the place of the outbreak, was Jerusalem. But now it's spreading like crazy. It's moved into Judea and moved into Samaria. And Jesus said, this thing's going to cover to the ends of the earth. That's what we're studying how the church moves forward with incredible speed and force, and you are invited to play. Now today, if you want to grab your Bible and head to Acts chapter 13, that's where we're going to hang out today, Acts chapter 13. Um, We're going to look at what I think is one of the most beautiful gatherings of the church that's described in the Bible. It's the church at Antioch. And I describe the church at Antioch, they're like gumbo. Gumbo, right? Now, not not like Midwest gumbo. 
I, I'm talking about like southern gumbo, okay? Now, just a quick gumbo lesson. Gumbo can be like shrimp gumbo. It can be chicken and sausage gumbo. It could be duck gumbo. If you're in the south, anything could be in gumbo, all right? And when I say anything, I mean anything could be in gumbo. But all the great Cajun dishes, all right, like gumbo, etouffee, jambalaya, all that stuff, it starts with some key ingredients. Those key ingredients never get the publicity. It's always like the shrimp that gets the publicity. But I'm telling you, in the dish, three key ingredients, onions, peppers, and celery. Go figure. But when you chop that stuff up and you start working it down, in the South, we call those the Trinity. Seriously, I'm not lying to you. The Trinity, onions, peppers, and celery. And when all that stuff starts getting married together, supernatural stuff happens on your taste buds. All right? That's what we're going to see today. Now, come on. Zombies and gumbo is about the best introduction that I know could ever be brought. I feel like I'm bringing my A-game today, all right? Zombies and gumbo, here we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we've heard of him, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I want to give you some key ingredients for the church at Antioch. And here's the first one. This is what makes the gumbo good. The first key ingredient we see is the relational dynamic. The relational dynamic. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this because I know how we think. I'm going to hang out longer on this one than I am on the final two. All right? So when I get to the second one and you're going, oh, my gosh. Is all of them going to be this long? No, it's not. All right? So we're just going to hang out on the first one a little longer than we're going to hang out on, this, on the next two. The relational dynamic. Here's what's happened. The good news of Jesus has been brought to this list of people that we just read through. And they now know that Jesus has come for a huge purpose. He came to absorb God's wrath for all sin. Now, that's good news because we've all sinned. And all of us should have God's wrath poured out upon us for our sin. But Jesus has come, and he took our place. He absorbed God's wrath for all sin. And in exchange for that, he then attributes to them his righteousness. So let me put it this way. Here's what they now know. When a person turns to Jesus by faith, Jesus takes from you your sinfulness, and he gives to you his righteousness. What a crazy exchange, but that's what they now know. And so now 
They are sons and daughters of God. They are, they are perfectly blameless regardless of their background. And I'm saying that is the only thing powerful enough to bring a connection between people like Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. We see both of them here at the church of Antioch. I'm asking you, do you realize how different Barnabas and Saul are? Now, here's what we've already learned. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Here's what we know. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. There's our man. Which means son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm just saying, you are a remarkable individual when people start just disregarding whatever your name actually is and start referring to you as, you son of encouragement, right? You son of encouragement. That's what they called him. Now, his response, well, yeah, but my mama named me. Well, we love your mama, but from now on, this is your name, son of encouragement. That's you, Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is all in, no question, including his wallet. Because what we're told is that he sells this field, and then he just gives the money. And he's like, look, we're all in this together. The church is on ministry. There are many needs that need to get met. Here it is. And maybe you would say, well, Maybe Barnabas was just doing it for show. I mean, people do that, right? People like act all generous, but it's really just a show. How do we know it's not a show? Because God chose to put a show in the scripture following Barnabas' story. The couple was named Ananias and Sapphira. They also sold a piece of property, but they put on a show. And God knew the difference. As in, they both fell dead and were buried out back. That means for us, Barnabas was not a show. God, God knows his real heart. That's Barnabas. Let's look at Saul. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. We've read this part of the story. Saul approved of their killing him. That's Stephen. That's who was just killed. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul probably can't get any further away from the heart of Barnabas. One who's trying to build up the church and the other one who's trying to crush it. Now, most believe it is not a stretch at all to think that Barnabas probably knew some of the people whom Saul had dragged out of their homes and tried to publicly shame and put in prison. Barnabas probably knew some of those people. Now, can we be honest, honest enough to say today, even if Saul never did anything directly to Barnabas, some of us 
dislike people who have never actually done anything to us but did something to people we love. Got it? And because of that, we don't like them anymore. Because of that, we don't trust them anymore. They didn't do it to us, but they did it to some people that we love. And so, I mean, if we're really going to be honest, there's some folks in the, in the size of the people that I will have talked to by the end of today, there, there'll be some haters in the crowd. That they actually hate people because of something they did to somebody else that they love. Barnabas and Saul would be miles apart except for the gospel's power to reconcile. It was the gospel's power to reconcile. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, absorbs the wrath of God, gives us his righteousness instead. That has the power to bring lives together. That changed both Barnabas and Saul's life. And now we find these two men on the same team, so linked that they will go wherever Jesus tells them to go, and they're even willing to die for this news that they now spread. For the last two years in this story, Barnabas and Saul have been the primary teachers at Antioch. How did that happen? It happened because forgiven people forgive people because of the power of the gospel. Forgiven people forgive people. And so like if you're still wrestling with some of that stuff and you, you got some unforgiveness stuff, I, I'm really encouraging you don't just dismiss that as well, that's just how we people are. No. Because forgiven people really do forgive people. You need to go after that. You need to wrestle with God on some of that stuff. It's the gospel's power to reconcile. But there's another guy in the room that I want you to notice. In verse 13, or verse 1 of chapter 13 again, it, it mentions Menan. Menan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, when you hear the word Herod, do you typically think good or bad? Yeah, if you think bad, you're right. All right, when, when the word Herod, when the name Herod, they are not good people. Let's just put it that way. If you're of the Herodian clan and you're on Ancestry.com, you are probably not there very long. Because if you're in the Herodian clan, people die. They die. A lot of them die. Herod the Great is the Herod in the Christmas story. That's the Herod that most people are familiar with, all right? As in the one who had all the baby boys two years and under killed. Yeah, that Herod. Why did he do that? Because he was fearful of losing his throne, right? Some other king is going to take it. He also had his second wife killed. He had his brother-in-law killed. He had his mother-in-law killed killed. Now, I realize some of you right now are thinking, okay, so he's not all bad. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it, right? That's not how we are to think, all right? 
I'm saying this is dysfunctional family. Herod the Tetrarch is not Herod the Great. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas. That's who you will read about in history. Herod Antipas. He married his stepbrother's ex-wife. Awkward family reunions, right? And she had a daughter that for code's sake today, I'm just going to describe her sultry. Is that all right? Sultry. And there was one night that the family was all together, probably a mean game of Uno, I don't know. Grape juice was flowing, and things got a little loose. In comes the daughter. She does a little dance. Herod is so moved, and I don't mean spiritually, that he basically says to her, anything in my kingdom is yours. What do you want? And her response is, I'll take the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you say counseling? This is the family. John the Baptist's head is presented on a platter to teenage stripper girl. That's the story. Also, this is the Herod who on the night Jesus is arrested, right before he's crucified, Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, Pilate trying to wash his hands of the whole deal. If there's any way that he can get out of it, he sends him to this Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. He hears that Jesus performs miracles. He's thinking this is going to be a good magic show. When Jesus won't perform for him, he has Jesus beaten and sent back to Pilate. Now here's what I'm saying today. Manny, our guy in Antioch, grew up in that culture. Because it says Manny grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. And yet he's in the circle of leadership at the church at Antioch. You know what I see in that? It is the gospel's power to overcome your past. It's the good news of Jesus and the power to overcome your past. I mean, anybody question whether or not Manny had a past? Anybody question, if you grow up in that kind of culture, the things that you have seen and most likely the things that you have been a part of, one of the biggest lies that I think an enemy convinces people to believe is that you are too messed up, too far gone, too many mistakes, no way that God could ever forgive you, ever save you, ever use you in any way. You are the person in history who has pushed the boundary too far. That's the lie. Because I'm telling you there are plenty of people in the Bible who would laugh at what you think is too far because they were way better sinners than you are. And they would say, it's not about how awful you are. The good news is about how awesome 
Jesus is. God does this kind of transformation stuff all the time. And his greatness is seen in the fact that you can't out-sin God's grace. Let me drop this on you. Manny, his presence in Antioch shows us not only the gospel's power to make what's old and broken new, but it also shows us a level of trust even with someone of the darkest of past that they could be so connected to the heart of Christian ministry. Isn't that cool? In other words, God doesn't just forgive you of all the garbage you've ever done. He transforms you and turns you into an instrument of declaring his greatness as you pour your life into the lives of others. Man, that's beautiful. So look at the list one more time, and then we'll move beyond the relationship stuff. It says one more time, verse 1, Now in the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So let me just roll through them. Barnabas, he's from Cyprus. That means he's a Hellenistic Jew. All right? Simeon, uh, we don't know where he's from, but they call him Niger, which means black. It's Latin for black. And there's not a commentary on the planet that doesn't clearly say this man's skin was black. And apparently it was really black. That's why they, that's why they nicknamed him that. Lucius is from Cyrene. That means he's African. All right? Menin is a Palestinian Greek Herodian, and I just told you how jacked up that is. Saul of Tarsus grows up in Jerusalem. He's a Jew, but he's different than Barnabas. He's a Hebraic Jew. Anybody recognize the gospel's power for all people? All people. By the way, just a quick question. Anybody recognize who's missing in the room? The white dude. There's no white dude in the room. Just a little something to chew on. How did it get to somebody like me with white skin? Some people that poured out their lives, man. Some crazy, unselfish people who poured out their lives to the points of death. What a diverse group of leaders. They would have been trained from birth to despise each other. They would have been trained, taught from birth how to position each of themselves as more valuable than everybody else on that list. But the gospel tore all that down and created a new identity. Is no longer about Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black or white. Our identity is now in Jesus. And I'm saying, when that ingredient is present in the church. When that ingredient starts to get married in the gumbo, supernatural stuff happens. All right, second ingredient is this. They are serious about listening to God. This group of guys, that's so many different backgrounds, he's brought them together. They together are serious about listening to God. 
Verse 2, one more time, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. They're listening. What is fasting? Fasting is simply, in the simplest of terms, doing without something that you would normally have to instead give your attention to listening to God. And so lots of times when you hear about fasting, it has to do with food. And so people will say, I'm fasting a certain meal or I'm fasting for so many days. Lots of times that means somebody's giving up a meal, like let's say instead of eating lunch, they would spend that time zeroed in on, God, I I really want to hear from you. And when you're going without food for a period of time, there's obviously just some natural things that, that you begin to feel. And when you feel those things, you, you just it turns your heart toward God. I want you more than I even need food for my body. That's fasting. I'm saying this group of people, they were dialed in. They want to hear from God so that they can align their life with the actions that he desires. This is why I love a week like what just happened for our students who have been in Mobile for the last week. They go down for camp, they go down for mission, and in a week like that, they are dialed in in a different way than they are most weeks. In, in a setting like that, the schedule is different. Normal things that are a part of their days are removed. They're in God's word more. They're in worship more. They're serving more. In other words, their heart is positioned to hear from God. And from what I hear, he did some talking. Despite a tropical storm that just sat there and right churned in the Gulf and it rained about every day, and a lot of the stuff that they would normally be able to do mission wise and all, it couldn't happen because stuff was underwater. But see, storms can't stop heart transformation from God. And sometimes I find that on a week like this, You go expecting to do one thing, and sometimes God may take away the doing so that there can be more listening. So how does God speak? It's like, okay, Jeff, how do you hear him? Well, I'm convinced God can talk any way he wants to. I am. It's like, do you think God can talk in dreams? Uh Uh-huh. I do. Why do you believe that? Because I read it in the Bible. I mean, he did that. There are times he communicated through dreams, right, impression. I'm saying I think there are many, many ways in which God can choose to speak. However, the next statement I'm about to make to you is so critical. God will never contradict his word. And by his word, I mean the Bible. He won't do it. You hearing me? He can speak. He can use people through which to to communicate to you. He can use circumstances. Uh, All of that, he's, he's speaking by his spirit. But I'm telling you, he will never contradict his word, ever. If you want to hear from God, 
One of the best points of action that you can take is to grow in your knowledge of God's word so that you understand God's character, then you will understand God's will. When you understand what God's about, then you'll understand what he's after. So, when you or somebody else uses the phrase, I think God is leading me this way. You ever heard that? Somebody come to you like, I think God's telling me to do this. Or maybe you used, you've used it. It's like, I think God's leading me to do this. Listen to me. That must always be filtered through the Bible. Because God is never going to lead you to do something that is contrary to what he says in his word. He's not. And I know the battle. I talk to, I talk to people all the time. It's like, I know this is what the Bible says, but this is what I think God's telling me. Uh-uh. No, he isn't. It's like they want an asterisk put in that place in the Bible with their picture beside it and a small note that says, except for me. Except for me. This is what the Bible says. Except for me. Because I think God's leading me this way. No, not if it's contrary to his word. Know his word, then you'll know his character, then you'll know his will. And the reason this is so critical is that I never could find the verse in the Bible that told me the name of the woman I was supposed to marry. Wasn't in there. Looked everywhere. So how did I know to marry Jen. It's like, well, I learned about the heart of God. And then I learned about what he said should be present in the heart of a lady who's searching and following after him. And the more I understood his heart and her heart, the more I could hear his voice. It's the way it works. Well, I think, though, here's where her heart is right now, but I think if I were connected to her, I could get her to change. Here's where his heart is right now, which I know is not what God says, but if I could be connected to him, then I could get him to change. I know. Let's just put the asterisk and your picture and go except for you, right? That's what we do. It's like, would it work? That's not because of you. That's because of God's great grace. Don't do that. Don't do that. He's not going to contradict his word. So how about where, where do you go to college or what career path to pursue or a job opportunity? Do you take it or not? How do you handle all that? The more you know about the heart of God and the more you know about his will and what he's about and you understand how he's given you abilities and talents, the better you know his heart, the better you'll recognize his voice. And the problem is sometimes we don't really want to take the time to know God's heart. We just want him to give us some clear instructions so we don't mess things up. I I loved, um, again, I'm going to brag on you, the whole Dave Ramsey thing and the financial peace. I'm just thanking you for doing it. The people who are doing it, I'm thanking you for going after that. We live in a culture where our egos tend to send us the other direction, but... 
just people, all campuses are going after this thing of like, here's some places we need to improve, here's some places we need to grow, and so we're going after it. So cool. Last week, it really stood out to me that a big portion of that lesson was about the fact that in many households, if you're dealing with two people, a husband and a wife, they've got to get on the same page. And he spent a lot of time talking about the differences in men and women, talking about the differences of how we're wired and how our hearts work. And the whole principle was, the more you know each other's heart, the clearer it's going to become for you to really listen to each other and know how to move forward. I'm saying, come on, it's that way with every relationship. It's that way with your relationship with God. The more you know his heart, the clearer you can hear his voice. It's the second ingredient, a seriousness of listening to God. All right, gumbo's coming together. We got one more ingredient. But here's the third ingredient. They're open-handed. They're open-handed. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now one more time, I'm telling you, Barnabas and Saul have spent the last two years of their life devoting it to the church at Antioch. They have been teaching, they have been encouraging, they have been correcting, they have poured their lives out. It's like fathers who, who just put their arms around their children and they so want them to see them grow. God has used these two men to pour out his power on the Antioch church. And now as they're praying, God says, hey, the two people that I have used primarily the last two years, I'm going to send them somewhere else. I'm going to move them on. What? It's like, okay, probably we need to pray some more because obviously we're not really hearing from God, right? We better fast lunch and dinner because obviously he, he just seemed to say he was going to take the two people who had poured the most into this whole remarkable and, and situation, and we're going to move them on. But you know what's so cool? They listened. They listened to God. And here's why that's amazing. Because as people, we have a tendency to love the vessel rather than the one who actually flows through the vessel. And here's what I mean by that. If God has done something significant in your heart. I'm saying spiritually, he has turned a light on in you. God has done some crazy healing in you. He has just done something so amazing in your heart. And he used somebody to do that. I'm telling you that what's happened in your heart could not be done by the person who was involved. It had to be God's spirit inside that person who was working through them to get to you. Because people can't change hearts. Only God can change hearts. Now, I get it. I understand this wrestling match. 
And here's what I mean by that. A part of obviously my role, what God has gifted me to do in part is to teach his word. Well, anytime you're pouring God's word into people's lives, God's word is powerful. It is living. It is active. And hearts get changed. Hearts are changed. And sometimes people um, in return will say, hey, thanks for what you've done. And I I get this wrestling match because I can't change anybody's heart. I know my own weaknesses. I know how many times this week I typed a word into my computer only to have the spell checked respond with, (laughs) try again? I don't even know what word you're trying to spell, Jeff. I I, I get it. I, I get it. I'm saying if God can use all of us It is evidence of his greatness. We always have to be careful that the praise goes to him and not to people. According to the Bible, people who serve him, people who have blessed your life, you can can honor them in terms of they, they are serving him, but don't exalt them. Don't lift them to a place that only belongs to God. Jars of clay are not built to carry that pressure. They're not. And you can thank somebody, you can encourage somebody, you can honor somebody, but don't lift them too high because that's an altitude at which people can't survive. Only God does. I love the fact that God takes two crazy significant leaders at Antioch and he moves them somewhere else and nobody in Antioch panics. Nobody panics. They pray for Barnabas and Saul and they send them off. That's open-handed Now, I kind of grew up in a culture, being a preacher's kid, where this open-handed stuff was just something that was introduced to me at an early age. I've watched my whole life when God, you know, puts his hand on somebody and sends them here or sends them there. As a church, we experience it. Um, Our our missionaries who who go to Taiwan on a regular basis, uh, just visiting with Larry again today. I told you about him last week, and I think about the the young ladies who continually spend time in, in Taiwan for us. It's like... I don't, I don't mind admitting to you, it's like, man, it'd be cool to have them around here. Because what they're bringing to that whole deal, and the difference God, man, it'd be cool to have them around here. And then think about the fact that their families miss them. And their friendships, they miss them. But I'm telling you, there is nothing like people who understand an open-handedness with their own life and with the life of of the body to which we are called to walk this thing out together, it's supernatural because it's where God wants them to be. I got it growing up, preacher's kid, um, watching people, as I said, you know, missionaries here, there, people we knew who were called elsewhere. Even my own sister, for a time in her life, she was called to be um, a missionary at a, at a children's home in, in Oklahoma, which is like a foreign land, by the way, in Oklahoma. And so it was like years, years of her life that we didn't really get, I didn't really get to see her. But it's like, I I learned it early on. It's like, that's exactly 
where she was supposed to be. And life lived open-handed, trusting God. There's nothing like it. So here's the mix. Relational dynamic, serious listening to God, and open-handed. And when those ingredients started mixing around in the church at Antioch, man, supernatural stuff happened. We get to see some supernatural stuff around here on a pretty regular basis. We are spoiled by our God and his goodness and his power. But I also don't mind telling you that sometimes, sometimes the question rises in my heart, and and I'm not sure that that every generation shouldn't be willing to ask this question. What if, what if my generation won't even see the biggest wow connected to the Heart of Life Church? In other words, I'm saying, now don't get me wrong, all the time I am wowed by what God does. Some of the stuff I can tell you, some of the stuff I can't. But I'm wowed by what God does. But what if the biggest wow for Heart of Life happens 40 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now? I'm not saying God won't continue to do stuff in the meantime. I'm just saying, what if, what if our wow is, is what if I'm called to, to spend the rest of my life, like, you know, we sacrifice, we risk, we start campuses, we plant churches, we do ministry all over the world, but what if the biggest wow is going to happen a hundred years from now when the Holy Spirit pours himself out in some generations like we have never seen before, and our name isn't even attached, they don't even know who we are. I'm telling you, it'll be worth everything we pour out because we will celebrate it for the rest of eternity. And we got on the field and we played our part. We risked what we were called to risk. We loved one another. We served like we were called to serve. We were open-handed. I'm saying, even if that's the case, and I don't know that, God, God made, I mean, God's got, he owns all that. It's like, it's not even ours to, to, to plan that stuff. But even if it is, man, I'm cool with that. So my question is, come on, is it time for you to get on the field? It's been the question over and over, is it time for you to get on the field? I'm thanking so many of you for being the people who do not just sit in the stands, but you truly Step on the field and you play this most remarkable mission. I'm thanking you for that. Whether it's real 127, I mean, here's a family within Heart of Life, the Skinners, whom God planted this vision, and now every month they're, they're blessing, right, foster families and adopted families, and together many of you have jumped on board with that, and every month you, you, you're blessing. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for those of you who are in uplift, right? You're, you're, ministry, you're, you're doing ministry to the homeless. And w- one of our own, Miss Kathy Dean, who really just sort of continues to, to head that whole thing. And together we, we, we provide meals. You guys provide like 10 to 13,000 meals a year, I think this. 
and you drive trucks and thank you. Some of you are involved in Restoration House. It's a ministry to right now just young ladies who are rescued out of trafficking. And if you're involved, you, you really can't, you can't be there where they are, but you can do all kinds of serving stuff that helps to support that effort and enables us to continue to reach one more and continue to reach one more. Thank you for those of you who've early on jumped on the vault and just what's going on there. And um, the job that, that uh, Mason Saffles is doing and uh, Matt Cox is in on that and just every day these young men who are, uh, some days just the room's full and there's room out back where they're playing basketball and everything else you can imagine. It's like thanks for those of you who are starting to attach there because it's an opportunity to connect to some kids' hearts at a moment in their life that could make so much difference. Kid I heard about the other day, he's in there. Um, his dad's in prison for the next 30-something years. His mom has cancer. And one of our ladies was just telling me about, she's just talking to him, and the next thing you know, he's starting to just lay it out. It's like his kids are looking for a place to be heard. And they hurt like crazy. I'm saying heart of life, God has just provided an extraordinary buffet for you to sink your life into. Get attached to hurting people. All kinds of different scenarios. It's like pick one. Pick one. Thanks to those of you who are in all of them, right? Thanks for what you're doing. But I'm saying pick one and go after it because the more you become acquainted with the heart of God the more you will hear his voice you're called to play God I thank you for a most beautiful picture of this church at Antioch I'm amazed every time I read it, God, just the miracles of relationships that are there. And God, this, the truth is, there's some of that crazy stuff that happens here too. God, there are some folks in this room, they are connected now in friendships and relationships that there is just no way on earth that would have ever happened except you have connected us in this good news that has transformed our lives. So God, today, maybe even for your people who are, who are here, God, those who are hearing my voice, God, may there be, maybe in this time together as we worship, as we sing, God, there are things of gratitude that start to hit our heart of the people whom you have blessed our lives with. God, help us to spend this time, God, grateful. God, for some of us, it needs to be healing. For some, it really may be that there are some things that are at odds, that forgiveness issue God, call us to the truth today. Forgiven people, forgive people. Help us to go after that today. God, I thank you for some folks who are serious about listening to you. God, I pray that you would just continue, God, to affirm God, that you love them, that you're close. But then there are some of us, God, that we, we really have just used you or attempted to where we've wanted more direction than we've actually wanted you.
And I pray, God, that you would call the hearts of your people to your heart first. Then, God, make us an open-handed people. God, being willing to lay down, to give, God, what you've put in us, what you've given to us, God, who you've entrusted to us. God, we, with open hands, we want to trust you. God, may your church know such supernatural power as they walk it out with you. I love you, God. I thank you for what you're doing today. Thank you for what you have spoken to us. We worship you now in the name of Jesus.